Welcome to the Providence Community Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Caleb Kinsley. If you would like to stay connected with us, download our app, Providence Community, or visit our website, providencecommunity.org. How's everybody doing? Doing all right? Tired. I know. Victor and I are a little tired. We lost it there somewhere in the middle of worship. So that's why the hair's up. It was everywhere. The mop had to, had to go. So anyway, um, man, this morning has just been so full. Absolutely full. Can we just breathe that in for a second? So uh, Pastor Nathan called me and asked um, if I'd be interested in preaching today. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, I've got some ideas. I've got this and that. And then he says, hey, I'd love you to preach on marriage. And I hung up the phone. (laughs) No, I said yes to it. And then after I hung up the phone, I said, what have I done? You know, a couple, a few couples just grabbed hands and said, you want to go ahead and go? You're like, no, no, no. Like, we can go grab brunch before the Baptists get out. You know, like, we can, we can get going. But um, I feel, (laughs) I feel highly unqualified based on the tenure of marriages that are in this room to speak on marriage. Um, I am a novice when it comes to marriage. I am my beautiful wife, Bethany. Everybody say hi, Bethany. Didn't she crush it? She's mine, all right? Uh, but Bethany and I are coming up on 10 years of marriage, and we're, yeah, go ahead and celebrate that. Yes, Jesus, we're still married. Yes, yes. Uh, still married, still in love, um, still have intense times of fellowship, and uh, yep, yep, you know what that is, and um, but, <laughs> but we still love each other. So, um, and we've, we've kind of figured out over the years, especially when we're about to take ground, the enemy hits us the hardest. And a lot of times that's the thing that actually discourages us from leaning in with each other. And then that's his plan is just to try to divide. And so I'm not speaking from a place of I've been married for nine years and I'm here to tell you how to have a better marriage. Like I'm preaching to myself. And if you want to double dip on what I say to myself from the stage, by all means, it's yours. But I'm not here to tell anybody what to do. I'm not here to fix anything. I'm here to give us what does Jesus say about marriage? So there's three, um, three different layers of this thing. The first layer is I'm speaking to the bride of Christ. There's a lot of us who are good brides on earth, but when it comes to our our bride ship in heaven, we actually, we miss this dynamic of marriage. And then we wonder why this dynamic of marriage sometimes can get a little, a little out of sorts. And our first obligation is to be the, the bride of Christ. He's our bridegroom we're the bride, and yet, do we hit the snooze button on, you know, intimacy? Do we hit the snooze button on spending time with him? Or do we actually go after what this thing looks like of intimacy and relationship and marriage with him? So that's the first layer. The second layer, raise your hand if you are married in the room. Go ahead and throw your hand up. Thank you, Jesus, for all of these marriages. Um, I'm also going to be speaking in a layer to those who are married right now. You don't have to be sitting next to each other. I understand kids and I understand all this stuff. Go ahead and just turn your heart towards your spouse. If you want to hold hands, that's beautiful. If you want to snuggle up close, that's great. I have one 
caveat to that, though. You are not allowed to do the uh-huh squeeze if I say something. Okay, this is... We are, we, the, 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 our hands are not the Holy Spirit this morning, okay? We're not going to say, mm Jesus, get him, you know, like we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that, okay? We're, we're going to, we're going to take for ourselves and allow it to bless us, and then we're praying to God, Lord in heaven, please bless them too, but let it hit here first, and Spouses, if the hand does squeeze, just know they're saying hallelujah for them. It's not about you. It's not personal, okay? The third layer, there's a lot of people. Who's single in the house? Raise your hand. I've got a lot of singles. Some of you, you don't even need to be thinking about marriage yet, okay? But some of you want and desire to be married one day. Some of you are really, really close, but you're not there yet. And so this message is for those who are also wanting and desiring marriage, all right? So we've got three layers. Wherever you are, I pray that it hits you because it's going to hit probably all three of me because there's parts of me that I know I'm not single, but as an individual, I need the reminder of why I'm married, who I'm married to, and what's the, what does God have for me, okay? Can we pray that? Father God, thank you for this room. Thank you for the people joining us online from their homes. Lord, I pray that this message would go deep not because I'm saying it, but because you are the one who is so intimately involved in marriage and you're so intimately involved in the things that, that, you, that you have brought together and God, what you've brought together, let nobody separate. We love you, Lord. Bless you. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, I got one more caveat and then we'll jump in. I am going to use that three-letter married word. And so if you do have a kid that's in the room that might be, that you think is too young to go there, Now's the time to take that kid to children's ministry, a beautiful children's ministry. We also have some beautiful bistro tables out here that we can sit at. Uh, I'm probably still on the mic out there too, so good luck. Um, <laughs> if your kid is right at that age, but you've decided that they're in here, there might be a reason for that today. And the cool thing is there might be some great conversations that come out of that. I'm not going to go crazy. Like some of you were like, oh, Jesus, please don't. Um, I'm not going to go crazy, but I'm going to give some truth on how there's the spiritual aspect of marriage, the emotional aspect of marriage, and the physical. And a lot of times when we cut one of those out, we actually end up robbing ourselves in marriage. So if you're not quite ready for that, you know, just throw on some earmuffs, you know, get some noise-canceling headphones. I got some in the back if anybody needs any, um, but we'll go from there. So, all right, to cut the tension, I looked up a few uh, married jokes. Y'all ready? Just so we can all get in the same frame of mind. Whenever my wife packs me a salad for lunch, all I want to know is, what did I do wrong? <laughs> a third grade teacher is getting to know her pupils on the first day of school. She turns to one little girl and says, and what does your daddy do? And the girl replies, whatever mommy tells him. <laughs> Marriage is when a man and a woman become as one. The trouble starts when they try to decide which one. Oh, Jesus. Oh, that one hit. Mm. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Lord. A man says to his friend, I haven't spoken to my wife in three weeks. Some wife just went, mm-hmm. The friend says, why not? The man replied, I don't like to interrupt her. <laughs> Have a great week, everybody. Good to see you. Amen. I had to slide that one in there for the fellas. Here's a, here's a better one for the women. 
The late Ruth Bell Graham, outspoken wife of evangelist Billy Graham, was once asked if she would ever contemplate divorcing her husband. Her reply, divorce? No. Murder? <laughs> yes. Take a deep breath. We break murder in the name of Jesus. All right. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4.12. Everybody who knows anything about marriage knows I'm going there. And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. We could sit here all day. Because there's a lot of marriages that have one cords living in the same room, but they're not wrapped around each other. There's a lot, of, cord, there's a lot of, of single cord marriages in the room. And I'm telling you, if one can be, you know, broken, two can resist. But three cannot easily be broken. We have to get Jesus into the center of our marriages. And if it's me, it's my spouse, and it's God, and the three of us are wrapped around each other, that is the recipe for the best marriage we can possibly have. The times when I'm not at my best in my marriage is when I've decided to go be a one chord or we found ourselves in confrontation as a two chord. But the second that one of us gets a whiff of heaven and we go, oh my gosh, what are we doing? We hit our knees and we begin to pray. It's gone. Why do you think, let me talk to the singles for a second. Why do you think that God said, don't go after sex until you get married because you're trying to become a two and three chord out of season. It's not time yet. If you're single, be a one chord and let the second chord you're wrapped around be Jesus. And then when you get married, add the third chord to the two. It's not time to try to add yourself up to that other person, think that you're having some fun and that you're not creating any pain, any division, anything else in your spiritual life, but then meanwhile, you're trying to leave God outside the locked door. It doesn't work that way. Let God be there, and so when you start dating, you're inviting somebody into the intimate place of who God is. Make sense? Marriages. When you were single, those two chords really wanted to get close. And then the second that you got married, the enemy said, now we got to divide it. He comes, he's so sneaky, man. He tries to push, 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 push you to get into precarious situations. And then the second you say, I do, he tries to rip you apart. So I'm, I'm asking this morning, right now, just in your heart, doesn't matter if you listen to another thing I say, pray right now, God, make us a three-chord marriage. All right, so if you were going to title this message, I would call it Marriage. That resonated. Someone just got saved. <laughs> marriage. We're going to magnify, minimize, and we'll come back to it, and maximize marriage. Marriage. Got it? So we all have a place that we place a magnifying glass on marriage, and that's where we begin to set the list, the list of rules on the things that we're magnifying. Not the healthiest thing to do. We're going to talk about it. We also, a lot of us live in a place where we minimize and pretend that either marriage 
or the person is not important. And we minimize who they are, why they are, what they are, and it attacks marriages at the very heart. And then we have the maximizers who maximize everything but the marriage, or they maximize marriage and then, you know, everything else begins to get hurt. And so we've got this magnification, we've got this minimization, and this, maxima, this maximization, this maximizing that can be beautiful for marriage, but there's a number of areas that it can break us down. Marriage ends up being really, really difficult because we usually have some broken views. So the first broken view could be that I've got a broken view of God. I talked about earlier the bride of Christ. He's our bridegroom, we're the bride. But if I have a broken view of Jesus, that he only loves me based on my performance, if I say the right thing, do the right thing, then he loves me, then he reveals himself to me. We have a lot of marriages that operate like that. You have to jump through the hoop. And if you jump through the hoop just right, then you get to be blessed. I want to break that in the name of Jesus. Some of, some of the marriages that are struggling right now are going to be renewed this morning because it's not going to be a works-based theology that leads us into a works-based marriage. God's actually wanting to heal that place where I have to perform for love. We're going to get there. The other way that we end up getting broken is in our marriage. Let me go back to, let me go back to something real quick. Actually, this will work. We have a broken view of marriage, the way that our parents lived, the way that our grandparents lived, whoever raised you, the, the coaches, the pastors, the teachers, everyone that you saw marriage from, that's our view, and so that's how we live. So I grew up, you know, seeing a certain style of marriage. Bethany grew up seeing a different style of marriage. Then we got married, and we went, oh, you're not like my family. And she's like, you're definitely not like my family. And then we're trying to merge these two worlds together when honestly, we need to be merging with God, not our pasts. I love my family. Bethany loves her family, but you, it says in Genesis, you know, for this reason a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to her husband. There has to be a severing and we're gonna get there. But this is, a, this is a phrase that I hear all the time when it comes to people that I sit down talking about marriage. Well, I'm trying to preach the truth and love to them. Awesome. You might be doing it wrong. And this is something that we do in the church. This is something that we do when we're trying to talk to people who don't know Jesus. I'm going to tell them the truth. Well, God, well, look at this verse. I'll, just, I'll skip to the good stuff. John 14, 6. Let's see if we can get it up there. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the, what's that word? The truth and the life. You jumped ahead. It's okay. Um, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the truth. So if your truth doesn't look like Jesus to them, you're giving an opinion, maybe at the top of your voice. If your truth doesn't look like Jesus to your spouse, you're just throwing out stubbornness and throwing a spiritual identity on it to try to be manipulative to get what you want to get. This one hurts me. I'm preaching to myself. Remember that. I'm not talking to any of you. I'm talking to myself. My idea of truth has to look like what Jesus would do, what Jesus would say, how Jesus would act. And if it's not, I'm not giving truth. I'm giving my own warped version of it. 
But then we look at love, but oh, well, if I do it in love, it's fine. I'll just let them do whatever they want that's chaotic, and I'll just do whatever they want to say, whatever they want to do. I'll just bow down and, and play the victim. Well, jump to 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is... For God is, for God is, only five more people just got louder. Come on, people. Uh, By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Don't worry about it. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. For no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So if my truth doesn't reflect who Jesus is, I'm giving a broken version of my truth. But if my love doesn't look like what Jesus, how Jesus would love, when Jesus would love, who Jesus would love, then I'm still only giving a broken version of my own. This has to be a part of healing our marriages. We have to realize that if my truth for my marriage doesn't reflect Jesus's heart for my spouse, I'm the one in rebellion, not them. That one hit really deep. My truth has to become that if I'm not loving my spouse the way that Jesus loves me when I'm wrong, then I'm not giving love, I'm just giving more control. Everybody take a deep breath. Don't jump me after the service. So we got a broken view of marriage. We also have a broken view of ourselves. I need some me time. Man, when I was single, before you, we say all these little phrases when we're angry, when we're triggered, when we're frustrated, and we don't realize what it is that we're doing. We're actually building divides with the enemy, with our spouse who God ordained over our marriage to say, I've joined these two. And the enemy says, oh, cool, you joined it. I'm going to divide it. So if you're in the middle of a fight right now, and trust me, there's been plenty of times I've gotten on stage either leading worship or teaching where we've been in the middle, in the thick of it, where we learned how to hit the pause button. But it's a lot more effective if I just humble myself. Instead of waiting for her to apologize because she just gave up wanting to fight. It's way better if I just humble myself. Genesis 2, 18 through 25. I'm not going to read the whole thing because we got to get rolling. But then God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, he made all the animals. He brought them to Adam, which that's a weird verse because that means that God didn't try to marry off an animal to Adam, but he was kind of like, hey, let's just see what I can make and see if if it's helpful. Don't take that too far. But then Adam, whatever Adam named them, God said, that's it. But then it got to the end of it, and he ends with probably like zebra. And he gets to the last one, and he's like, cool, stripes, I don't care. Uh, Let's just zebra. Awesome. And God's like, okay, cool, find anything? And Adam's like, I mean, that's a lot of cool animals. I'd like to eat a few of those, you know, like, give me something to kill them with, and I'll do it. Um, 
But then all of a sudden, God goes, man, like, I got to do something different. And he specifically puts Adam to sleep, and he specifically takes a rib from his side, and he specifically closes it up. God doesn't open you up if he doesn't intend to close you up. And there's some marriages that there's some surgery happening right now, and God is opening you up. He's not opening you up to break you. He's opening you up to heal you. And he's opening you up to create a helpmate to help heal you. And a lot of times we think, oh, no, I don't want to be opened up because that's too vulnerable because then we have to see my mess. Guess what? Marriage is all about the mess. And Jesus said yes to our mess. Knowing our mess, he stepped down in order to be our bridegroom. We got to stop acting like we're perfect. We got to stop acting like we got it all together. We got to stop acting like we're the ones who are perfect in our marriage and it's their fault. God, heal my heart. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and the wife were both naked and were not ashamed. If there's any reason to be ashamed when it comes to the marriage bed, it's probably because I'm bringing a lot of my past in with me, and I haven't left it yet. It's time to start leaving the past. And it doesn't mean that we bury the bad things that we did so we can look good. It means I've got to learn how to actually let go of my idea of what was perfect so I can actually step in and see my spouse as perfect. They should be the apple of your eye. They should be the one that is the standard of beauty in your relationship. So the best way to kind of break this down is to look at marriage as relational banking. Who here has a checking account? Raise your hand. Praise the Lord. Anyone who doesn't have a checking account? Talk to somebody else. <laughs> All right, so but with a checking account, usually comes a little debit card, right? How many of you have ever gotten in trouble with that debit card? Raise your hand. Praise God, Lord, we've just blessed everybody's marriages and their finance. The fun part about a debit card, not a credit card, a debit card is if I don't put in the funds, I can't pay for stuff. A lot of us are frustrated with our spouse because we can't swipe the card and get what we want, but we have overdrawn the account and can't remember the last time we made a deposit. Good night, everybody. So we're sitting there frustrated that the bank book has all these negatives next to it and I can't go buy what I want to go buy and yet I have done nothing to make a deposit there. And this goes both ways. We have to get out of the mentality that the husband is the only one who works for the marriage and he's the only one that makes deposits, and then the wife is the one holding the debit card saying, you can use this when I deem it's fit. Mm-hmm. Praise Jesus. <laughs> we have got to stop manipulating and controlling our spouses in a way that we never would with our finance. Are we willing to make some deposits this morning? Are we willing to stop counting what's in the bank to see if I should make another deposit? Oh, there's enough in there. Enough is, I'm telling you, the second you say enough, that, that account is going down in flames. 
Jesus, Jesus, why can't I hear you? Oh, wait, I won't do anything in worship. I don't read my Bible. I don't really tithe. I don't give. I don't bless people. I don't take people out to lunch. I don't talk to anybody at church like Chris was talking about last week. I don't make deposits at church, but then I wonder why I can't hear anything. The best part is his deposit is in full and it's every day. So he's making deposits and it's, I will say, I can't stop him from being able to in, like engage with me. I can't stop him. I can stop myself based on how I look at the account, based on how I view it. But I know God has made deposits into your heart. He's made deposits into you. All right, so we've got three withdrawals that can, that can destroy any marriage. The first withdrawal that can destroy a marriage is magnifying. What we magnify is what we find. What we magnify is what grabs our attention, and what we magnify becomes our focus. What are you magnifying in your marriage? What's that one issue you can't let go of when they are trying their best everywhere else? But you have to look for the weakness in order to manipulate and to try to showboat and act like you're better. We put the magnifying glass on this one area of weakness, knowing it's the area of weakness. And yet we have no problem because it covers up ours. Well, I'm strong in that area, so you should know better. Father, forgive me for the thousand times I've said that. We magnify on the tiny little things that we can try to use to try to win the game. We're on the same team. Why are we magnifying anything? And I'm going to get to the other side of this coin, but why are we magnifying the negative in order to be able to get a step up to feel better? My job as a husband is to support Bethany. Her job as a wife is to support me, to outserve each other. And yet, I won't do the dishes because I'm, I'm tired. We magnify these things. The second thing that can destroy a marriage is that we minimize. This one's gonna hurt. There are those of us who end up minimizing their feelings, their emotions, and their victories, their issues, their abuses, their condemnation, their grace, whatever it is. And the reason that someone ends up having to minimize everything is because they have an overly developed sense of control. I will minimize my own faults. I will minimize my own brokenness. I will minimize the places that my spouse is better, my spouse is this, my spouse is that, and if they come in, oh, I'm so excited, oh yeah, that's great, it's awesome, it's cool. Like, I'm not finding victory in that, so I'm gonna minimize. We do that all the time, just as the body of Christ. There's a miracle, oh, let me tell you about a miracle back in 1994. What? You just minimize what God was doing right here, right now by having to like level jump and always be right and always be in control of the situation by talking about a story that somebody else was talking about by telling your own. Instead of saying, no way, tell me about it. I want to hear about it. Give me more. Come on. Give me more. What was it? Oh my gosh, let's celebrate that. No, we can't do that. We have to minimize it because all it does is reveal and pull back on the places of brokenness in my life 
and I've got to minimize it and hide it and keep my vulnerability shielded. Man, it hurts. And so I'm getting to that big three-letter marriage word. Here it comes. Ladies and gentlemen, quit minimizing sex. You can hear a pin drop minus a child in the back. That child, that child went, please, I'm here because of it. You've got to make time, you've got to take time, and you have to take the time to make the deposit of connection. I'm not going to tell you how often, I'm not going to tell you when, I'm not going to tell you where. There's an expectation in both camps, and nobody has talked about it in years and you're wondering why there's frustration. The dishes, it's not about the dishes. It's never about the dishes. Unless it's been like six, month, six months of dishes. But that only tells me that there's been eight months of something else not happening. The dishes happen when we're connected. Oh man, my heart, oh, she's out. The dishes are in the sink. I want to do that for her. I want to clean up my dirty drawers on the floor. I want to do the wash, even though that is a barren wasteland of clothes and different things happening. My married men know what I'm talking about. This is, okay, and, and here's the point. Some of you were like, oh, but Caleb, you don't know. You've only been married for nine years. I know. Because here's the deal. If there's one thing you hear today, one thing, it's the fact that God created sex to be the one place that the two of you have like exclusive access to. No one else should have access to your marriage bed. No one. This is the only place the two of you have a secret. This is the only place the two of you are one. People can have access to your, like your accounts because they're your accountant. They can have access to your ministry. They can have access to your children, all the different things. But this is the one place nobody has access. So if you've given a computer access, break the freaking computer. If that person at work has gained access, either quit the job and go find another one or start setting up some actual boundaries and start bringing whatever you were giving at work, start bringing it at home. Because half the time, all those things happen because I got rejected, and so I'll control myself and go do what I want to do. But again, if we're both connecting, if we're both talking, if we're both on the same page when it comes to sex, there's not as much frustration attached to it. And again, this is what God created. We are physical, emotional, and spiritual beings. If you cut out the sex, guess what happens to the emotional side? Guess what happens to the spiritual side? This is the one place the two of you can become one. And so, when it comes to manipulation, women, sex isn't meant to be a carrot that you hang on the end of a stick and make a man earn. It is a gift for the both of you to share and not lord over him. And men, a lack of sex isn't permission granted to please yourself wherever you want to go. You will never find satisfaction outside of the covenant with your bride. And unfortunately, now we're in an age and an era where women are in that same filth as well. 
So just because I said man, just because I said woman doesn't mean that that's exclusive to them. And then we got the marriages that maximize. And minimize and maximize is a two-edged sword because everything that is not unifying, we blow out of proportion. And you want to know why? Because we are desperate to be right again all the time. I have to be right. If I'm not right, my world implodes. Guess what? If, you're, if you have to be right in order for your world not to implode, that means that you have felt wronged, and I get that, and my heart burns for that. But quit taking it out on your spouse. I'm so sorry that mom and dad didn't meet that need. I'm so sorry that that teacher crossed the line or that coach abused you. But if we're still taking that war out on our spouse, we're just perpetuating the abuse. God, we have, and Jesus wants to heal that. That's when we get those three cords wrapped together and Jesus begins to bring us in and actually rub our shoulders together and say, hey, no matter how much this hurts, we're gonna lean in. We begin to get healed. Let's go ahead and throw that graphic up. Um, Dan, th this is not mine. I stole this from Danny Silk. He's incredible. And then I got it from somebody else who got it from him. And so he talks about concentric circles. And I may not be quoting Danny just right. Um, I've said this enough that it feels like mine, but I'm going to give credit where credit is due. This is our life. I've drawn this diagram probably 50 times in the last three months. And here's the problem. Our center is the only place that God exists. But the problem is, is that our spouse, our mom, our dad, our ministry, our job, something else has taken the center spot from God. And we wonder why my life is out of order. It's because I have lofted something into a position that it doesn't belong. Can we get our life back into order, out of chaos, by going back to God being at the center? The second spot, and I talked about this at youth a couple months back, is for our spouse. If you are single, do not put mom and dad here and then bump them when you meet somebody. Because anytime that I get bumped down a level, my heart gets destroyed and we actually end up breaking and hurting the relationship. So single people, keep space for your spouse. Sorry, a bug just kamikazed into my ear. Aish Kadai, speaking tongues against you. Like, get out of here. <laughs> totally just threw me off. So leave space for your spouse. And if you're single, pray, God, prepare me to be theirs and prepare them to be mine. And I'm asking you, don't you dare put a person's name on it before you say, I do. Because even if you're engaged, you haven't said, I do yet. So we have to keep this space for our spouse. If my ministry can hijack my spouse's space, my life is in chaos. Why does your wife feel like Ministry is more important because ministry is in your second spot or work is in your second spot or your best friends in your second spot and they're getting bumped to third or fifth. 
feeling disconnected from you, feeling out of sorts with you. And this is the hardest part. Maybe mom's in there. Maybe dad's in there. Maybe my parents are more important because you forgot to leave them and be cleaved or joined to your husband or to your wife. If mom and dad find out about big life things before your spouse does, mom and dad is in the wrong spot and it's time to clean house. I love my parents. I had to have a difficult conversation early on in my marriage that, hey, I love you guys, but it's Bethany now. And I drew a line and said, she is the one. I think that probably did create some pain. It created some pain for me. I can only imagine it created some pain for them that all of a sudden there's this divide and it's her fault. It wasn't her fault, it was my fault because I put my parents in my spouse's spot. And I didn't do a good job of creating that space. It's time to get our lives back in order. Put your spouse back in number two, because if they're not, they're gonna feel it and you're gonna feel it. Number three, we've got our kids. If you have kids, and again, if you're married, single, whatever, keep a space for your kids. Because if your work is more important than your kids, guess what? Whatever happened to you is gonna happen to them is gonna happen all the way down the generational line. But if I decide that I'm gonna break that, I'm gonna break the generational curse. I'm gonna break the stronghold of work and finance and having to live at a status that I wasn't probably even supposed to be at, but I have to because my neighbors need to see that I'm living in such a way. Put your kids back in number three. I love doing ministry. And I even have people come over to the house sometimes. And when they do, if my kid comes up or my kid's crying, hey, hold on one second and I run to their room or I talk to them. They have precedent. I don't tell my kid, hold it, I'm busy. Because that means whoever I'm talking to now has taken their spot and guess why they're acting bad? Because my kid who's supposed to be number three is now number four, maybe even number five. And they're wondering, well, now I have to perform in order to get mommy or daddy's approval, their attention. And I've got to jump through the hoops and I either have to make enough chaos to get them to pay attention or I've got to live so perfectly to get their attention later. Please place your kids back in number three. And I'm telling you, the generational curses that have come after you will be broken and you will free your children to live a similar life. And number four is family. I would say that some of you might not be very close to your family and I get it. Maybe your friends are here. Maybe work is here, whatever. After, after God, spouse, and kids, let it go. But put people in their proper space. I had a relationship a few years ago that they actually got into my God space. God got bumped. Bethany got way bumped. We didn't even have kids yet. And my world was disheveled. I finally did this. I didn't communicate it well. I didn't do it right. But I set up the proper boundaries for my life. And my life got back in order. That relationship got really hurt because they ended up being in the sixth circle. But that's where they belonged the whole time. They never should have had access to my inner world the way that they did. And so when I said, no, I've got to lay this down. I didn't say it to them, just in my actions, it changed. I went to God first, then I went to Bethany. And then I went to my family. Then I went to my spiritual leaders. Ha- follow the chain of command. There's a reason for it. 
So if you need to, take a picture of that real quick. Maybe we'll put it up as a graphic this week. There's one thing you do today. Work on this with your spouse. Sit down at the table. That's gonna do a number of things. One, you're gonna get your life in order. Number two, you just got your life in order by doing it with your spouse. And there's probably like a third and a fourth one I can't think of. All right, I gotta get going. I'm gonna say these really quick. There's three deposits that your marriage can take that are gonna heal your marriage. First, we have to magnify Jesus. If he is the bridegroom and we are the bride, we have to magnify Jesus. Quit magnifying the broken places. Quit magnifying those little spaces that they don't like reach or they don't make up or they don't satisfy. Quit magnifying those and magnify Jesus. You're in a fight. The second the Holy Spirit says, hey, how about we talk? Hit your knees in tears. Grab her hand and pray. And if she storms out or he storms out, pray anyway. And 20 bucks says that they will come right back. Because when the things that break God's heart break my heart, something happens. And then when the things that breaks my spouse's heart breaks my heart, something happens. And we begin to go after the deep things, the good things, the holy things together because of brokenness, not because of pride and being right. next one, minimize triggers. Those circles, this is where the trigger comes from. Spouse is in spot number four and you got dirty dishes, it ain't about the dishes. It's because she knows and feels that she's in the wrong spot, but she can't communicate that. Now, please don't go home. I'm in number four. You know, like, don't, like please don't go there. Gently remind them, hey, I'm trying to get you back into the space that you belong in my life and lead with humility, lead with teachability, lead with a quiet heart, a broken heart. But minimize the triggers. If you've got some insane triggers you, you can't let go of. We have a beautiful ministry called Soul Care. Angie Sonleitner heads it up. I trust her and I trust that ministry with my life. I have only been blessed by it. And then I have the cool opportunity to bless others in it as well. And there's some things that, regardless of what you think, I'm tethered to this moment in my past and until we cut it, until we give God permission to unlock it, I can keep trying to grow, but I'm still out of order in my life because mom or dad are still got their footprints in my second and first circle. God wants to come through and just wipe his hand across that to bring healing. So you have to minimize the triggers. If, it's a, if it is dishes, great, go do the dishes. But more than that, grab your wife's hand, grab your husband's hand and say, how is today? And listen. Minimize the triggers. Empty their cup and grab everything you can from them. Do everything you can to communicate expectation. I know that women want to be met emotionally. Ladies, sometimes your husband can't go there because of what's inside of him. Meet him where he needs to be met. Husbands, I know sometimes you want to be met physically before you meet emotionally. Guess what? If your wife can't go there yet because she can't go there emotionally, meet it. Quit keeping score. If you got a scoreboard in your house, if you got a scoreboard in your mind, break it in the name of Jesus. Last thing, maximize love. This is the hard one. 
Because if your spouse, and this is an extreme, this would probably not be the case in the room, but I'm gonna use an extreme on purpose. If your spouse only does 2% of what you ask them to do, please don't squeeze the hand. If your spouse only does 2% of the work and you want 90, if you try to fight for 88%, you are going to wreak havoc on your own soul and their soul, and you can't go there. Fight for 3%. Because if you fight for 88 to get to 90, you're actually gonna push it to one or zero. And life was never meant to be skim milk. (laughs) Marriage was never meant to be skim milk. Skim milk is just water lying that it's milk. (laughs) Marriage was meant to be whole milk. I haven't even tasted whole milk because I'm not doing dairy right now and I wish I could. But even when I'm missing it physically, can I meet that in my marriage? Yes, 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 yes. I'm praying for whole milk marriages. Get you some whole milk. It is terrifying to maximize love because they might take it, take an inch and run a mile that's for them and Jesus to figure out. And if you bless them, quite like that father did with his son who wanted to leave in Luke 15, he blessed him. He gave him the inheritance and said, I love you, son. And the son left. Guess what happened when the son ran out? Quit controlling your spouses. Sorry, don't quit. Operate in the love of the father to love your spouse so much that you'll let them run themselves into the ground and let the Father redeem them. Be there with open arms. Not an I told you so. Not a ha, ha, ha. But be available with an open heart. It's hard to let people run their own story, but if I'm praying for them, it changes a lot faster. If I'm praying with them, it changes even faster. So maximize love for one another and watch God do the rest. pray this based on one of our fathers of this house, Chris, saying that we need to linger. It's time to linger. I think that there's a grace today for marriages to be restored and for marriages to be made whole. And it's day one of going for one more percent. I get it. I get it. I get it. But we've got our prayer team. You guys can go ahead and roll up. If you're on the prayer team and you need prayer, just hit your knees together. But if you're, um, if you're married in this place, if you want to be married in this place, if you want to be connected to the real bridegroom in this place, don't wait for me to get done praying to come forward. Grab the hand of your spouse and husbands lead, wives lead. I don't care whose idea it was. It's not about that. It's not about a score. If you need to hit your knees right where you're at in your chairs, if you guys just need to pray right where you're at, if you want to raise a hand, people will come to you. But let's not miss out on what God has for our marriages this morning. Because what he has brought together, what he has brought together, choose your marriage. So I'm just gonna pray this. Move if you need to. You can respond at the end if you need to. But God, I pray right now 
that we would learn how to call out the gold in our spouse's life, that we would recognize the potential, we would recognize that they're trying, and we would recognize what they are doing, and that we would call it out and reveal the value of it. Father, would you remind us that we are a team and that we are doing this thing together. Wake us up in the night praying for them. Wake us up in the morning praying for our spouse. Let us find ourselves praying for them throughout the day and let it be the last thing that we do when our head hits the pillow is that we are thanking you for our spouse. And Father, remind us that we are in love with them. I pray that you would rekindle love in their hearts right now. Remind us that we chose this love. Remind us that they are our standard of beauty. And re remind us that we're choosing one another. Show us how to take off the armor and be vulnerable at home instead of being vulnerable everywhere else and then coming home to wage war. So Father God, would you bless marriages, bless marriages in this place, Father God? Even if their spouse isn't here, God, would you knit them together so fiercely? But God, would you begin to heal the voids? I don't care what the fight was. I don't care what they said. God, would you bring healing in this place right now? We love you, Father. We bless you and we pray. Amen. We're just gonna leave it open like this. Noah's just gonna keep leading a pretty sweet atmosphere. If you need to respond, please do. I know that there's no shame. Ooh, I wonder what they did. That's not it. It's, oh, look what God's doing. Let that be our focus that we look at. When a couple comes forward, it's not, I wonder what happened to them. It's, oh, look what God's doing. Amen. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you'd like to partner with us, you have the opportunity to give online at providencecommunity.org.